0: Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church. I'm so glad that you're listening to the broadcast today. And today I'd like to talk to you about suffering and salvation. And I want to talk to you about the persecuted church. And I don't know about you, but that has always intrigued me to know that the Christian faith is based on grace and mercy. It is founded on a guy who walked this earth 2,000 years ago who never sinned, and wherever he went, he healed people. Wherever he went, he provided and fed the poor and, and healed the lame, and, and wherever he went, he did good, but yet they took him on the cross, nailed him to that cross, crucified him. He willingly gave himself up for that, and uh, three days later, he rose again. Now, when you think about that, that is the message of the cross. That is the message of the faith. Why in the world is that so controversial? Why does that cause so much persecution? This shocked me when I learned that one in eight Christians worldwide, one in eight Christians worldwide, live in countries where they face persecution. On January 13th, 2021, Open Doors, which is an international ministry that advocates on behalf of persecuted churches and persecuted Christians, they released a report. The World Watch List assessed 50 countries where Christians face the most severe type of persecution. The newly published data reveals that during the reporting period between October 2019 and September 2020, more than 340 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. Now, put that in perspective, okay? 340 million people, that's about the population of the United States. These are Christians that are living across the globe that will face and suffer high levels of persecution. Among that 340 million, 309 million Christians were living in countries where they might suffer high-level or extreme levels of persecution. That's amazing when you think about it. One in eight worldwide, one in six in Africa, two in five in Asia, one in 12 in Latin America will be facing persecution. Christians are the most persecuted religious group worldwide. An average of 180 Christians around the world are killed each month for their faith. According to the United States State Department, in more than 60 countries, Christians are facing persecution from their governments and surrounding nations because of their faith in Christ. One of the worst countries in the world for persecution of Christians is North Korea. With the exception of four official state-controlled churches, North Korea is the worst as far as torture, in some cases, execution of those who practice different beliefs. North Koreans suspected of having contact with South Koreans or other foreign missionaries in China and those who were caught with a Bible have been known to be executed. The condition in this country has remained the worst in the world for Christians for the past 12 years. Did you know that 41 of 50 of the worst nations for persecution, where Christians are being persecuted, are actually Islamic extremist nations? Christians face persecution even in countries with a large Christian population. For instance, in Colombia, Christian political rebels specifically are targeted by leaders because many of them are coming to Christ. They're leaving the rebel groups and coming to Christ. The church is frequently attacked because these groups view Christians as a threat. Now, in case you're thinking this is a modern phenomenon, it has intensified, without a doubt, the last 100 years, more people have died for their faith than the previous 1,900 years combined. But it began way back with the foundation of the church. In Acts chapter 4, we see there are five major persecutions of the church within the first decade. We have the Jews and the, the Romans and the Gentiles and Nero and AD 67. Uh, we have all of these beheadings and all of these persecutions are taking place. And so in those first five major persecutions, 100 million Christians were persecuted. Now, when we look at what the Bible says and, and, and how we can tackle this subject, I want to read some scriptures that I think will help us navigate through this. And The reason I'm giving this message is not to alarm you and not to uh, cause you to be filled with fear, but I think as followers of Christ, we ought to have a theology of persecution. We ought to know beforehand how we're going to respond when persecution comes. And notice I said when, didn't say if. Uh, Now, when it comes, how are we going to be responding? We see that the church was united through prayer and through worship and they were united around the Holy Spirit. So Paul appealed to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And he says, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found With our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love, by truthful spirit, and by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor, and dishonor through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet we are true, as unknown, and yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. Now here Paul spends several verses explaining to them they're going to be persecuted, but the message must continue to carry on, whether it's a favorable time or an unfavorable time, whether you're being beaten and imprisoned or whether you're facing hardships and afflictions. It doesn't really matter whether you're living a life of purity, whether you're living a life of righteousness, whether you're filled with genuine love or not genuine love, persecution is going to come. And he wants them to know that they should greatly work together during times of persecution. I think when you look at scripture, when you look at the New Testament specifically, there's kind of two ways that the early church survived times of persecution. Number one is they had that strong bond together. That's why the church is so important. Listen, we never have to worry about the powers that inflict the church from the outside. If the church falls apart from within, the enemy has more success than he will ever have in bringing outside persecution. Whenever you look at it biblically, and as you look at it historically, every single time the church is persecuted from the outside, it always thrives. It doesn't succumb. It doesn't fall apart. Persecution is always good for the church. Inward conflict is what destroys the church. Somebody said this, anything that ever has fallen, has fallen from within. So we must work together as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Number two, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be going through the book of 1 Peter over the next several weeks. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse number 6, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice. Now, what are they rejoicing over? He says, well, right now, for a little while, you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You've been facing persecution. You've been facing that grief that is coming, and it's multifaceted, many kinds of trials. You're not just getting hit on one end, right? Uh, You're getting hit from many different angles. And now Peter says, you ought to rejoice. And the reason you should rejoice, not because you're having the trials, not because you're suffering. Uh, You know, we're, we're not to celebrate. Oh, yeah, this is great. You know, kick me again. That's not what he's saying. He says, you're going to rejoice because these trials, they've got a purpose for them. They come to prove the genuineness of your faith. And that faith is of greater worth than gold. You see, gold is going to perish even though it's refined by fire. He says, when you go through these times of persecution, rejoice because it should result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. And then in verse number eight, Peter says, You know, though you have not seen him, as you haven't seen Christ, you know, I've never seen a physical, you know, manifestation of Christ. Although I've never seen him, I love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. You are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, Peter goes on, he says, The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. And they searched intently with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing them when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that you have been told by you and and that was preached to you through the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven— even the angels long to look into these things. As I look at this portion of Scripture, Peter is not minimizing the pain and the suffering that the church is facing. He's not just saying, well, just get over it. It's Not really that bad. He's not saying it's not real. He is acknowledging that they are facing grief, grief of all kind of trial, not just in one area, but in many areas. In verse number six, he says, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trouble. Greatly receiving God's mercy, you greatly rejoice. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice evermore, Paul says to the Thessalonians believers. I can rejoice in my struggles because they reveal something within me. Again, Peter's not minimizing the pain, and I'm not minimizing the pain that you may be going through right now. You may be facing an ordeal that is beyond my comprehension and beyond my ability to sympathize with you. So Peter's not saying just get over it. He's not saying well that uh, that's not really that bad. Uh, he's not saying you're not really suffering. He acknowledges that we are suffering, and he acknowledges that we're getting griefs of all kinds of trouble, and it's just not in one area of your life. Sirin Kirkingard was right when he said. Life has to be lived forward, but can only be understood backwards. You see, history repeats itself. In life, so many things happen that are not immediately perceived as beneficial. But then when we get through it and we look back, we say, oh, now I see what the Lord was trying to teach me through that ordeal. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering. Don't look at it as though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice. He says, don't wrongly think about the suffering. Don't think, well, this is not supposed to happen to me. I'm a Christian. I bet nobody else is suffering like me. Don't go down that path. That is a bottomless pit. So we have some really good, solid teaching that we can receive today on this matter of persecution. And the first is that we should expect persecution. Paul said to young Timothy, listen, I want you to know that everyone— everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see the repeated emphasis here. Everyone will be persecuted. All who follow Christ. All who live a godly life will suffer persecution. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, it's very emphatic, will be persecuted. All Christians will suffer. Either you have, you are, or you will. In Acts chapter 14, we see hardship facing the church once again. In verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, and they thought he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, as I look at Paul, man, that guy has, some, he, he was as tenacious as a bulldog. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you stone me and leave me for dead, drag me outside of the city limits, I'm not going back into that city. I, I'm going to shake the dust off and say, good riddance to you. I'm going to go get patched up and get some rest, get something to eat. I'm moving on. Uh, but not old Paul. He went back there and back into that city. And in the next day, he and Barnabas they leave for Derby. Uh, they preached the gospel in that city. They won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And then he says, "This we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God." Paul and Barnabas were appointed elders for them in each of the church, and and with prayer and fasting, they committed to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So we got to expect some persecution. But I want you to know that when it comes, if you are grounded in God's Word, you discover that the Spirit of God will strengthen you in those times of persecution. Well, here's the second question we want to look at. Well, where should we expect this persecution to come from? Paul answers that question in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. Right? So we can expect it to come from all areas, right? And maybe you're not facing persecution in your job, but you will maybe in your neighborhood. Maybe you're not facing persecution in your home, but you are somewhere else in your life, in your business life. He says, you know, we're hard-pressed. Maybe you're facing persecution and pressure with your health. He says, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. You know, we're perplexed, okay? I'm trying to figure out why in the world this is happening. Paul is a little bit perplexed, but he says, I'm not in despair. I'm just trying to figure it out. He says, we're persecuted. Man, we're under the gun, but we haven't been abandoned. Oh, yeah, yeah, we've been struck down. We've lost a few skirmishes here. We've been knocked down a little bit. We've been humiliated a little bit, but we're not destroyed. He says, we're caring about our body, the death of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul's saying, listen, it is in our body that we are sharing with you the persecutions that we have carried for the sake of our Savior. And he says, for we are alive and always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us but life is at work in you. In other words, Paul is saying, we are literally giving our physical lives so that you can have eternal life. Not that his physical life could bring about eternal life. He says, I'm dedicating my life. I'm making my life a living sacrifice so that you can hear the gospel. So in these very few verses, Paul lists several types of suffering, mental and physical and emotional and spiritual. You know, it was George Mueller who said that that man who founded all those orphanages over in England and never one time asked anybody for money, he said the only way to learn strong faith is to endure great trials. So let's look at what is the reason for suffering? In the life of the Christian, why do we suffer? Well, there's several things I think that it brings to the surface and it reveals about us. Number one, it reveals the sincerity of my faith. These have come so that your faith may be proved. I guess we could say, God knows your breaking point, and so he wants to bring some pressure into your life so that your faith may rise to the surface and it may be proven. It may be tempered. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full of assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with the pure water. You see, as we look at what we're learning from Hebrews chapter 10, suppose that these biblical standards and convictions, suppose they begin to calm down, right? Suppose you begin to lose your fervor. You, you start to get along to go along, or, or you simply start to accept what society dictates. The faith of our Father was not passive. It wasn't a sit-around-do-nothing faith. You see, sometimes I think that God will allow the persecution come to awaken His church. And saying, Church, you, you're getting kind of complacent. You know, I think about the largest denomination, Christian denomination in the world. It's the Southern Baptists. Right now, they're going through some pressure, right? And I heard a great message not too long ago, and the pastor says, now listen, Southern Baptists have more money than they've ever had before in the history of the denomination, but they have less power, less power. In other words, we, we got all this money coming in, but we have less ability to reach our community with the gospel. The message is falling on deaf ears. Maybe God's waking us up and said, Listen, get out of your laziness. Get out of your complacency. Those who suffer for righteousness are having the sincerity of their faith tested. And God may be saying, Guys, I want your faith to be tested, so I'm going to put some pressure on you. You know, Dale Carnegie said, Inaction breeds doubt and fear, action breeds confidence and courage. If you want to conquer fear, don't sit home and think about it. Go out and get busy. I say the same for the believer. If you want to conquer the fear of persecution, go out and share the gospel. you discover that as you have that action in place, your confidence will rise up and your courage will rise up. You'll be able to conquer that fear. Don't sit at home and, and hunker down and, and, and just hide. Get out there and share the gospel. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus was very explicit don't put that candle under a bushel, but put it on a lampstand and let it shine. Well the first reason we've learned so far is that Christians suffer because it will test the sincerity of their faith and number two, it will strengthen our faith. It's of greater worth, says Peter, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You know, the value of our faith is greater than gold. It is stronger than the American dollar. It is stronger than the world's economy. Don't fear pressure being placed upon your faith. James reminds us that the testing of our faith, it produces perseverance. He says, don't let that fear of judgment get you discouraged. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, I don't know about you, but I fear the disapproval of God much more than I fear the disapproval of man. Man can disapprove of me temporarily. That's why Jesus says, Don't worry about those who can kill the body. That's the worst they can do to you. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul. Oh, my friend, when persecution comes your way, I want you to know that it is a test of the sincerity of your faith and it reveals what your sincerity of faith is. Number two, it recognizes and develops the strength of your faith. And when persecution comes, number three, it actually becomes the source of my faith. Verse number eight, Peter says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. You see, when I go through times of persecution for righteousness sake, it brings to the surface. My faith brings to the surface where my confidence is. It reveals who I believe in. I believe in him and it comes through the surface as I go through persecution. 1 Peter 1:21 says, "Through him that's Jesus you believe God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God." Tony Evans gives a wonderful l- illustration that he calls the long hangover. He says, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago hasn't ended. His blood keeps on cleansing us from sin. Jesus' blood is like an eternal hangover. When a person has a hangover, they're not drinking. They are just still feeling the effects of the drink. Jesus is not still hanging on the cross, but the blood that he shed is so powerful that the hangover has lasted for 2,000 years. Oh, I want you to know, Your source of faith is found in the Lord and is brought to the surface in our times of persecution. D.L. Moody says, faith takes God without any ifs, ands, or buts about it. When you receive that free gift of salvation, you also identify with the persecution that Jesus went through. As a matter of fact, every time I baptize somebody, I remind them that you're identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was persecuted. He faced death. We too may one day face death. But he will never leave us nor forsake us. There's something else I got to tell you about when persecution comes your way. And that is number four. It reveals the salvation of my soul. As we look at the end result of our faith, the end result is the salvation of your souls. Now, we're not saved by persecution. But when we are persecuted, it reveals where our faith is and delivers the salvation of our souls. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, But now that you have been set free from sin and you become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, which results in everlasting life. So I want you to join me tomorrow as we continue on this theme of living in a time of persecution. If I can help you in a way, if you have any questions or if I can pray for you, would you shoot me a text at 252-267-267 2365. 252-267-2365. I'd love to pray for you. I'll add you to our prayer list. If I can help you with anything, please feel free to give me a call uh, and shoot me a text. And that's the best way to get up with me. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. If you'd like to support this broadcast, or if you'd like to listen to some of the broadcasts that have already been aired, go to hrcc7.org. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening today.